So what do you fear? What keeps you awake at night? I think for me, and maybe the same for many of you, it's my children. A new type of fear entered my soul when I had boys. Just this last month, my seven-year-old went out to catch frogs with a trap, and he came back instead with a snake that he had caught with his hands. My risk taker. My middle son recently was crushed when another child was mean to him at school. He's my deep feeler. And my two-year-old, bless his heart, (laughs) right now he's in that stage and phase of life where he says no to everything. He is my stubborn rebel. My wife says he takes after me. What is in store for my children? Now, when I lay down in bed, I think these things that it's highly likely that my risk taker will, will, get, will get hurt, that my deep feeler will be wounded by relationships, and that my stubborn rebel will make harmful choices apart from the grace of God in their lives. And no matter how much I think I would like it, I cannot control their lives. So what do I do? I pray for them. I pray over them. I love them until it hurts. And I talk to them about the gospel. And yes, I worry and have fear about my children. Three of these are good. Praying, loving, and talking to them about the gospel. And Jesus tells us not to do one of them. Not to have fear. When you think of fear, what what faces come to your mind? What experiences haunt your soul? We're told that we fear many things and we have many of these experiences that we may fear being alone, that we may fear rejection, that we may fear commitment, that we may fear disease, that we may fear death. These are common fears that we all have. Now, you're a smart DC crowd, and so you know that some fear is good. Some fear is good because it can galvanize you for an action against a threat. But the type of fear that Jesus is talking about here is not that type of fear. It's against not a real threat, but an imagined threat. And you may remember that James preached on worry a few weeks ago when Jesus said, Do not worry. Well, what's the difference between worry and fear? They're related, but they're slightly different. They're different degrees of the same feeling. One pastor said that worry is like a steady drizzle, a constant rainstorm, whereas fear is more like a thunderstorm. It's raw. It's intense. It can be terrifying because we're afraid of being hurt. Jesus tells us that we're prone to four different fears in the Gospel of Luke, in Luke chapter 12. In verse 4, he mentions death. He says, do not fear death. In verse 11, he mentions shame or public humiliation. In verse 22, he mentions poverty or physical needs. And in verse 32, we're going to focus this morning on the fourth fear and perhaps the deepest fear, the fear of God. 
Now we're not talking about the fear of the Lord that leads to wise living that we talked about from the book of Proverbs. We're talking about the fear of God that leads to unbelief and distrust. What does it sound like? It sounds like this. Can I really trust God? Is He really good? Isn't God just an angry judge and I have to try to trick Him like an attorney to bless me? Is He really after my good? Is He really working for my benefit? That's the type of fear that Jesus is addressing. And like a fine wine this morning, we're going to stop and we're going to settle on one verse. We're going to sniff it. We're going to look at it. We're going to swirl it around and we're going to get everything we can out of this one verse this morning. What does Jesus say in verse 32? He says, Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. First question we want to ask of the text is this. What are we offered What we are offered is at the end of verse 32, the kingdom. God offers us the kingdom. He doesn't offer us instant wealth. He doesn't offer us immediate popularity. And he doesn't even offer us freedom from persecution. But he offers us the kingdom. Now, what is the kingdom? I think there are two places that are really helpful to me. The first is in Matthew chapter 6 in the Lord's Prayer that helped me understand the kingdom. Jesus prays in the Lord's Prayer as we know it. Heavenly Father, He says, Your kingdom come, Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. What is His kingdom? It's His will being done on earth as it is in heaven. And so we must ask, what's the will of Jesus? That's the second verse that I love, Matthew 19, when Jesus says, Truly I say to you, in the new world, when the Son of Man will sit on his glorious throne, and everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or children or land for my name's sake will receive a hundredfold and will inherit eternal life. What is the will of our Heavenly Father? The will of our Heavenly Father is the renewal of everything. It's the redemption of the entire world. It's the healing of the cosmos for all of eternity. That's what the kingdom means. That's what Jesus promises us. He says the kingdom is offered to you where everything is going to be made new, where everything is going to be healed, where everything is going to be made perfect. And that is what the Son is beginning to do when He begins His earthly ministry. I love at the end of The Lord of the Rings when Sam Gamgee says to Gandalf, he says, I thought you were dead, but then I thought I was dead myself. Is everything sad going to come untrue? That's the same thing that we could say to Jesus. Jesus, I thought you were dead. I thought we were dead. Is everything sad going to come untrue? And what does Jesus say? He says, yes. He says, in his kingdom, all evil is going to be undone and defeated. There's going to be no more terror. He says, in his kingdom, all suffering is going to be transformed into joy. 
There's going to be no more pain. He says in his kingdom, all tears are going to be wiped away. There's going to be no more sorrow. He says in his kingdom, everything sad is going to become untrue. In his kingdom, what he offers you and what he offers me is no more fear. Now, even if you're not a Christian this morning, don't you want that to be true? Don't you want there to be a climactic end to history where everything is made right, where everything is healed, where everything is made perfect? That's what Jesus offers us in the kingdom. Jesus promises a kingdom without fear, the perfection of the good. Now, second question we want to ask from the text. Who does he offer the kingdom to? Let's read the verse again. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give who? To give you the kingdom. To give the kingdom to me and to you. Now, what does he call us in this verse? He calls us his little flock. Now, that's not quite a compliment if you think about it. I don't know many children who say, I can't wait to go to the zoo and see the sheep. Why? Because sheep are not really that impressive. They're not really that intelligent. They're not fleet of foot. They can't climb trees. They have no wings to fly, and they really don't have impressive teeth. And so sheep, or calling us little flock, is really not very impressive. But if we think about what Jesus means, then it's really powerful. When Jesus calls us his little flock, he's communicating knowledge, and he's communicating affection. He knows that we are vulnerable He knows that we are small in size, in stature, strength, wisdom, and love. God knows us. And we don't have to hide who we are. He knows we are sheep. So we don't have to try to disguise ourselves when we come before him. But he also shows his great affection for us. He calls us his little flock. I know some families who call their children the littles. What do they mean by that? They mean their children are precious to them and that they are vulnerable and that they are there to protect them. Think about this little flock that Jesus is preaching to. Who is in this flock that Jesus is teaching? It could be any number of people, but if you go back and read through the Gospels, all those people who Jesus has encountered, just think about them for a moment. Who is his little flock? It's the woman at the well. And Jesus knows everything about her story, and he loves her. It's the tax collector that climbed the tree. It's the fishermen who were mending their nets. It's the zealots. It's two sisters and their brother. It's a wide variety of sheep, and Jesus knows every one of their stories. I love the imagery of being called the little flock. I love how Ezekiel puts it in Ezekiel 34 when Jesus is talking about his sheep. He says, For thus says the Lord God, Behold, I, I myself will search for my sheep, and I will seek them out. 
I will seek the lost and I will bring back the strayed and I will bind up the injured and I will strengthen the weak. You see, Jesus knows his flock. He knows that we are weak. He knows that we are injured. He knows that we will stray away from him. And what does he do? He comes after his sheep. He left the 99 to find the woman at the well. He left the 99 to find the tax collector who climbed the tree. And he leaves the 99 to find us. And how far will he travel to find his lost sheep? He went all the way from heaven to Golgotha to find those to seek and to save the lost, those who are far from God. How far will Jesus go to find us, his little flock? He will go from heaven all the way to the cross to seek and to save the lost. He knows us. Do you know how powerful it is to be known? And do you know how powerful it is once we are known to be loved? You see, Jesus knows us and he loves us. He describes his love for us in John chapter 10. He says, I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and flees. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. He says, I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me. Just as the Father knows me and I know the Father and I lay down my life for the sheep. Jesus is not a hired hand, but he's a good shepherd who willingly and lovingly lays down his life for his little flock. And you see, the little flock exists not because of our performance or because of our righteousness that we are impressive. But the little flock exists because of His righteousness, because of what He has done. And the story of every little lamb in the flock is, Behold, I was lost, and He came, and He found me. Jesus comes to the fearful because He has affection and love for His little flock. And this shepherd has power over everything that causes us to fear. He has power over sin. He has power over Satan. And he has power even over death. The resurrected Christ in Revelation 1 says, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died and behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have the keys of death and Hades. The keys to the kingdom are given to the one who conquered death. It's why Paul can say, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. You can do anything you want to my body because I know I am in union with Jesus Christ and He has conquered sin, death, and Satan He has the key to overcoming fear. And you know what this good shepherd says? He says, All of my sheep hear my voice, and they're in my hand, and no one can snatch them from me. 
no power of hell, no scheme of man can ever pluck me from his hand. I'm glad to be called his little flock. Are you glad to be called his little flock? Have no fear because he's a good shepherd. He's the best shepherd who's laid down his life for sheep that he knows. So what does he offer us? He offers us the kingdom. And then who does he offer the kingdom to? He offers the kingdom to us. And the third question we want to ask from this verse is how do we receive the kingdom? Listen again. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. How do we receive the kingdom? It is given. It can't be bought and it can't be earned because it is a gift. God is not stingy. God is not a Scrooge. But He is liberal with His mercy and He is generous with His grace. It's a beautiful thought. He does not offer to sell or trade you the kingdom. He offers to give it as a gift. Now think about that for a moment. You want to know how to cheapen a gift? Try to pay for it. See how that goes. The next time your spouse or a friend or a son or a daughter gives you an expensive gift, try giving them $5 for it and see how that goes over. If I buy something really expensive for my wife, a gift that she might like from Lululemon or something like that, and I give her some expensive clothes, and then she hands me $5, is it still a gift? No, it's just a really good deal. (laughs) You see, Jesus doesn't offer us a good deal. He offers us a gift. And how should we respond to that gift? We should receive it. I love how one pastor puts it. He says, God is a mountain spring, not a watering trough. He delights to overflow, to give, give, and give. God does not need a brigade of sweaty pumpers. He wants drinkers, people who will get down on their faces and satisfy their thirst with his love. How do we receive the kingdom? Jesus tells us, I say to you, whoever does not receive the kingdom of God like a child shall not enter it. There is only one way to receive the kingdom. By grace, by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. The kingdom is not something that we can earn. No one will be in heaven because of what they've done, only because of what they have received, the free grace of the gospel. The kingdom of God is His gift to all who believe, especially those who are fearful. Jesus calms our fears because He has given us the gift in Jesus Christ. So He offers the kingdom. He offers the kingdom to us. We receive it as a gift. But how can we know for sure? How can we trust Him? That's the fourth and final question we want to ask from this verse. Who offers to give us the kingdom? Listen again. Fear not, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. Who offers the kingdom to us? It is our Father. 
It's not a slave master. He's not even an employer. And he's more than just a king. But he's our father. And it's his good pleasure. Or another translation, it's his good will. Or it's his delight to give us the kingdom. God is acting in freedom, doing what He wants to do. And what is God concerned for? God is concerned for our pleasure, for our delight. His joy is our joy. When I read this verse this past week, this stunned me. Listen to Matthew 25. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you when? From the foundation of the world. From the beginning of time. Ever since the Lord created the world, He has intended to give us an inheritance. What is that inheritance? The kingdom. God has been working for our pleasure for our good and for our delight and for His glory. Jesus commands us to not fear because He is a good, good Father who delights to do good for His children. God can be trusted because He is determined to seek our good and His glory. Now, that's been the prayer from the beginning of this series that we would know what? that we would know the love of the Father. I came across a story recently from CNN about an autistic boy named Ollie Jones. Ollie broke his mother's heart when he made himself two birthday cards for his 15th birthday because he assumed no one would be wishing him well. His mom took to social media and posted a request on Facebook and Twitter. She wrote, my autistic son is 15 shortly. He's just told me he loves opening cards to the extent he's made himself a couple. She requested that some folks might think to send Ollie a card. She was hoping for 15 to 20 cards to arrive in the mail. And you know how many came. Over 20,000 cards came to Ollie. Do you know what his response was? He sat in his hot tub that night with his brand new selfie stick saying, I'm famous, I'm famous. He experienced love in a profound way. Why? Because he named his fear. He was afraid of rejection. He was afraid of not being loved. And his mom put that out there. And when they put that fear out there, they were met with love. What has this series been about? It's been about putting down our umbrellas in the rain. Things that we put up so that we don't experience the love of God. And so Jesus tells us one of the ways that we can experience the love of God is do not fear. As we confess our fear to Him, as we go to the Father, as we take down that umbrella, we too can experience his love. You see, fear, the psychologists tell us, is a primal or a core emotion. 
that from the day we're born, do you know why babies cry when they come out of the womb? They cry because they are afraid. You know, the Bible tells us that when we were created, we had no fear. Why? Because we were perfectly loved. But when we rebelled, when we sinned, a new emotion entered the world. What was that emotion? Fear. What did Adam and Eve do when they experienced this emotion? They went and they hid. And what did God do? He came after his lost sheep. He came to seek and to save Adam and Eve. And what did he promise them? He promised them a kingdom. Even in the Garden of Eden, he said, one day, someday, I'm sending the king, the second Adam, who will demonstrate his love, our love for you, that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You see, Adam and Eve's response was to be afraid to cover themselves in fig leaves and to not experience the love of God. And God came after them. And in the promise of the gospel, in the promise of the kingdom, they experienced the love of the Father. Will you put down your umbrella of fear today? And will you allow yourselves to experience the love of God that will overcome our fear of poverty, our fear of shame, even our fear of death? May it be so. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, it's amazing to think that you delight in our pleasure that before the foundation of the world, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit were conspiring together to create a plan to give us maximum joy. Father, you know, you know that we are a fearful people. You know your sheep. You know that we're full of shame. You know that we're full of guilt. And you know that in a lot of ways we're afraid of you. We hide from you because we know we are not holy and we know you are holy. So Father, show us how much you love us. Show us the blood of Jesus Christ that was shed for us. Your death for our death. Your life for our life. Father, may the love of God drown our fears so that we experience your amazing love In Jesus' name we pray, amen.